Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Welcome back to Vice and Easy, because this week is a big week. We are covering Season 1, Episode 22 of Miami Vice, the season finale. Can you believe it's already been a season? That You guys have been with me. You've been really kind. You've been liking. You're subscribing for a full season already. And this is a season back in the day. It's not a season of eight episodes where three episodes are shown at the same time. And then you only get five weeks to really enjoy the show. This was 22 episodes back in the day. All right. Wild. That's so cool. I can't believe we've already gone through a season already. Now let's break it down. As I mentioned before, this week we're breaking down season one, episode 22, Lombard. Guest starring our boy, Dennis Farina. The plot of this episode, Crockett and Tubbs protect a reluctant witness from his prior employers, the mafia family that wants to silence him. And we open up this episode with something I can definitely relate to, <laughs> not going to law school. English lit. How are you going to make any money with English lit? What's wrong with you? And naturally, he's talking to his son, Sal. They're not really getting along that well. Sal has a beautiful girlfriend, by the way, who is wearing this, I want to say maybe silk or chemise strapless dress, um, turquoise with beautiful accessories, just gorgeous woman. And obviously, Sal is disappointing his father, like all of us, by not going to law school. <laughs> uh, like Just the fact that it opened on that, I was like, wow. Who who among us? Who among us hasn't disappointed their parents? So as they're pretty much arguing, we find out a little bit more that the relationship hasn't always been great. Dennis Farina, aka Lombard, is asking about his mother. He's saying you can ask her directly yourself. So basically there's a lot of friction. They don't really seem like they have a close father-son bond. And while their fractured relationship isn't getting any better, Crockett and Tubbs have crashed the party. And they're slyly but surely moving their way through the salon. I hope I'm using the correct terminology. Or the cabin of the yacht. And then we get a pretty good one-liner from one of the hired goons. That's exactly how I'm going to think of them every time I see them in this episode. Hired goons? From Tubbs. Easy, my friend. And you'll read Social Security, Miami Vice. They're just like stealthily getting through because they have something to deliver to Lombard. As we know, Lombard's had a pretty strong history with the first season of Miami Vice. I uh, remember that Barbara Caro, Crockett's ex-girlfriend, unfortunately paid the price by not paying him back on time. A lot of cases do involve him either directly or indirectly. So he's been spoken of, spoken about a lot this season. And now comes time for a little karmic retribution. I have a subpoena here for you to appear before the grand jury. 15th of this month, 10 a.m., room 329. Dade County Municipal Building. You accept it? Yeah, yeah, here, look, I accept it, okay? I got it, I accept it. What else do you want? I want to congratulate you. You've been granted immunity from all prosecution. All you have to do is answer all our questions about Mr. Labrizi. Since you can't be prosecuted, you can't incriminate yourself. Since you can't incriminate yourself, you can't claim the fifth. Mr. Lombard, you're gonna do some talking. Or you're gonna do five years on all these contempt citations. Interesting. I'm gonna break that down a little bit more in Elvis's legal minute. Uh, speaking of not going to law school. <laughs> um, but this is actually very interesting. And of course, please keep in mind that contempt of court has actually been 
somewhat explored this season. So I like that we're kind of doing that again, but in a different way. So, yeah, that's going to be an interesting start to Lombard's Day. That's what every gangster wants to get. (laughs) Uh, Subpoena to snitch on your other mafiosos. Then we go through the last intro of the season, and then we're back on the yacht with Lombard and with a familiar face. So only eight episodes ago, Golden Triangle Part 2, there was a character, Denton, that had known Castillo from way back when and was involved in the case. So only eight episodes ago. So even let's say, let's stop for, you know, a few weeks here and there. It's only been like five months in real time in 1984 and 1985, elapsing between these two episodes. This is a very familiar guy by his look, his voice. It's not as if, um, especially I had seen this with Save with the Bell, a lot of the extras they'd kind of use and have like one or two lines and you'd see them all the time. But, you know, because they're a high school student, it kind of makes sense that it would be the same person. But this, we saw this actor getting arrested eight episodes ago and then he's back working for Lombard and then he's back again in another episode later on in the series. So I appreciate the Michael Mann casting method of casting the same people in similar roles, but I think he just should have had a little bit more time. And we'll talk about John Santucci a little bit more in Vice Tea. The Vice Tea this week is a little bittersweet in that three of the guest stars of this episode have passed away. They're no longer with us. And this is kind of the sad part about documenting Miami Vice now versus when I first fell in love with it in 2004. Well, we didn't have podcasts and all that in 2004. And that so many of these actors are gone and it is really cool to appreciate them at a younger time, but it's still kind of sad and bittersweet. Um, but again, that's kind of the reality. I'm documenting a show that premiered before I was born. So, <laughs> you know, what, what can I do? This is just unfortunately reality, but let's give credit where credit is due and appreciate them for what they've done. So now let's get back. So as I mentioned, John Santucci is back. He's a Lombard's henchman. His name is Charlie. Now they're kind of talking over the immunity deal and Lombard is adamant that he does not want to snitch for a good reason. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about nothing. That's good, Charlie. Because if he thinks I'm going to be found him and he questions my honor, it's going to become his problem. Do you understand? I take care of everything. Huh? When I always taking care of you, huh? leave it to me. Good. I'll get something to eat. And yeah, he doesn't want to snitch and there's no winning with this immunity deal. It already makes him look bad. And this is exactly why they've done it, is to get them locked in into a corner. We go back to the precinct. Castillo selling Crockett and Tubbs that the press has been notified. They don't want that much visibility. Castillo wants less news, so Lombard will be able to testify because the more attention you bring to a higher up or a mafioso snitching, the likelihood of him being whacked increases as time goes on. So they want to keep everything on the lowdown. And then the next scene, we see Charlie at an ice cream parlor of all places. Be a very beautiful server, bringing over strawberry sundaes to Charlie and a very handsome young Ned Eisenberg, rest in peace, in a white striped suit with a pink shirt and tie. He's my best dress for the episode. Please go check it out in the gallery because he just won hands down. 
Now, as gangsters are wont to do an ice cream parlor, they start talking business because Labrizzi's a little worried that Lombard's going to snitch. So here's Charlie trying to patch and smooth things over. My stomach. Hey, this business of ours will make you an old man before your time. Yeah, it makes you rich pretty fast, too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. You think you can handle Lombard's action? So now, obviously, you can't see it because it's a podcast. But during that scene where he laments about his stomach, Labrizzi is taking uh, a swipe of the whipped cream from his sundae and eating it. And as a fellow lactose intolerant person, I very much uh, feel representation in that scene. And joking aside, we kind of know what they're both getting into when Labrizzi's asking if he can handle Lombard's action, basically meaning to take Lombard out and put Charlie in. And that's what I'm leaving this meeting with. And then we cut to Zito and Switek offering comedic relief, but it's kind of lame and it's a shame. I wish that they could have fleshed out these characters a little bit more. Maybe the network, the limitations of network TV in the 80s and them not being as handsome as Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas. But uh, like this was the funniest line they said this episode. Yeah. I caught her with an old guy in a motel once. He was praying around the room with her on his back naked. And so while they're following this guy doing recon, they are following him because they're going to lead him to Lombard. They're all having lunch at this very fancy restaurant by the marina and actually okay they're a little funny in this scene too where basically they get rejected by the maitre d um who basically just tells them straight up they don't meet the dress code and then there's some rich guy walking around in shorts and he says well hey that guy's wearing shorts why 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 is he in and the guy just goes those are designer shorts (laughs) so basically they wanted to like eavesdrop on lombard having lunch with i'm assuming maybe his lawyers because He's talking about his plans for his boat and all his stuff and gets a little comical as well in this next scene. If they want to make a deal with me, they're going to have to find me someplace where I can bring my boat, my chef, my girl, everything, right? Hello on the flowers. If you want to make a deal with me, you got to send me someplace I can bring my boat. And I took a picture of him leaning into the flowers as well. And so they're basically just still doing recons, you know, in Switek. As Lombard's walking out of this fancy restaurant, we see two people chilling out with very big guns right at their disposal. They shoot out, try to take out Lombard. They do hit him. Zito and Switek are there to call an ambulance. They are only able to get one shooter. The woman is able to run away. And there's actually a very cute name of the coffee shop called Hava Java, which I took a picture of, not to go on to a completely different subject. So Lombard's in the hospital going through surgery while Crockett and Tubbs are visiting a burned out warehouse, one of Labrizzi's naturally. And when I mean burnt, they burnt this warehouse to a crisp. Tubbs does have some news that Lombard was wearing a bulletproof vest and he is going to survive. Crockett naturally responds in kind. Like Rod Stewart says, some guys have all the luck. And at first, if you're wondering why Crockett has so much disdain for Lombard, keep in mind that he did have his ex-girlfriend murdered who had children and left her husband a widower. So it's not just like a small time beef. It's a legitimate beef. 
And now we're at the dog track. And I'm being serious. It is the Greyhound racing track where three guys, two in Panama hats, one with a giant cigar, lamenting the fact that Miami has got nothing on New York until Crockett and Tubbs interrupt their conversation. This doesn't look good. The gentleman in question, his name is Augie. It does not look good to have two cops interrupt your meeting while you're at the racetrack. And at first, he's not really that forthcoming with information, and then he kind of changes his tune. If Lombard was smart, he'd be out of the country right now. Yeah, well, he's not wrong. Then we go visit Lombard at the hospital. Uh, There's also kind of an interesting cast of characters, a little motley crew, if you will, in the hospital room. Two goons... Hired goons! ...are there. Basically, Lombard is saying that he was taking care of one of his goons when he was shot in the hospital that he was there to take care of him you can see that Lombard is not comfortable at all having people to take care of him I think he prefers it the other way around then Crockett and Tubbs are also there to remind him that he doesn't really have a lot of options left I never ran from anybody or hid from anything in my life Besides, protective custody is a jail cell by another name in protective custody you walk talk and breathe on the street you dog me personally I don't care whether you live or die. My job is to keep you alive. Your choice. That's right, it is my choice. I choose not to deal with you two. And then, so while the goons <laughs> and Crockett and Tubbs are with Lombard in the hospital room, Charlie also comes with flowers as they're kind of finishing off their spiel. Crockett is very dismissive of Charlie, tells him that his flowers stink. And then Lombard doesn't want to listen to anybody's advice. He doesn't want to rest. And he tells Charlie to go get the car. Later, when we're back at the precinct, Castillo gives some sage advice as to how Crockett and Tubbs are going to get Lombard to work in their favor. Well, we want him alone and vulnerable. Then he needs us. Could fail either way. Be there if it does. Ooh, interesting. And that actually does make a lot of sense. Is that why would you... How do you get control over somebody who controls everything else? Get them scared and vulnerable. And that control is peace and takes away the anxiety and takes away the what if. So actually, actually very interesting advice for the mafioso in your life that you need to put into protective custody. <laughs> you know, everyday advice that we use here on the Vice and Easy Miami Vice Recap Podcast. And on that note, speaking of Lombard not resting, him and his guys roughing up the guy that stopped by the table at the shake shop. And it's interesting, as they're roughing him up, they want to know who set Lombard up. And Lombard asks him, who set me up? And with his bloodied mouth, he looks to Charlie and says, ask him. Very interesting. Very, very, very interesting. Charlie says that he'll take care of it. And then we are back again on the yacht, just as he's sitting down for dinner, having a nice glass of wine poured for him. Lombard gets a call from Charlie, says that it's taken care of and that Lombard should get out of town. They'll meet by the bridge that he's building because obviously he's in construction. He's in all the legitimate businesses and get all his papers in order. And at this time, Crockett and Tubbs are just speeding along on a bridge as they are wont to do. And they get a call that. Lombard's going to boogie. Quote, boogie. And so while Crockett and Tubbs are heading off, 
this really cool song by U2 plays. What is the name of it? Give me one second. I'm going to find the name of it. Wire. Wire by U2 plays. And it kind of had this like little cat and mouse chase through on a causeway going through a toll. And speaking of, so there are two U-turns in this episode that are somewhat important to the plot. This is the first one where Lombard's guys find the tail because it's kind of easy. They can see the Ferrari in their rearview mirror. <laughs> I get that they're doing undercover, but and you want to act the part and play the part, but I think they should have used maybe Tubbs or Zito and Switek's car for kind of like an important chase. I get that they were in the car when they got this call, but yeah, it's a little, as I say, it's a little obvious. So they pull this big U-turn on the causeway, which is wild to imagine doing. It's so illegal and it's so dangerous. I could never, this is why I can't live a life of crime because I can't escape anything. (laughs) And I look atrocious on CCTV cameras because it's just like all square jaw and eyebrows and like, I just look very boxy. It's just not... It's not for me. That's why. And if I ever go missing too, I'm going to have like a headshot that I will just make available and like send this to my friends and family and be like, if anything happens, and it's just going to be like this gorgeous picture of me at like 27 years old. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, that's why I cannot live a life of crime. But they can. So they are able to evade Crockett and Tubbs' tail. They meet at a bridge. Lombard's so happy to see Charlie. He's so excited. He's so thankful that Charlie was able to get everything in order. You don't know how glad I am to have you taking care of everything for me. Are all my papers in order? Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. You can tell just from the music the way that this is going. And we've kind of alluded to it a couple times. Can you handle Lombard's action? Ask him. This is not something new. Charlie was going to set Lombard up all along. And just in time, as soon as Charlie pulls out his gun, boom, Crockett and Tubbs are there from up above. It's a super cool shot. Definitely go check it on the gallery there where Crockett and Tubbs are basically hiding, watching this all go down. They're able to shoot the hired goons from that vantage point. So once again, they have saved Lombard's butt. And speaking of keeping him vulnerable and alone, there goes his goons. There goes his number one henchman, Charlie. Now Lombard's really alone and Crockett and Tubbs are there. And that's who he has to turn to. Speaking of funny notes I wrote to myself, uh, question, what is a causeway? (laughs) I think I know what it means. I think it's when a bridge can open up, but I'm going to Google that and have an answer for you all at the end of the episode because uh, I should know these things if I'm going to be talking for 122 episodes about the city of Miami. (laughs) I should know what a causeway is. Oh, man. Well, now we're actually going to be talking about little casitas. So this is like a little kind of like community of little houses. They're all little bungalows. Uh, super cute. There are a lot of these in Los Angeles, too, um, where it's, you know, like six or eight different like little casitas. It's kind of like an apartment complex, but you have no shared walls. Best way to live is not to have shared walls. And... I had a little casita for a little bit, and let me tell you, just being able to blast whatever you music you want in the bathtub 
And in a lot of cities with really high population density, San Francisco, New York, for example, very rare that's going to happen. But in a city like Los Angeles with a lot of urban sprawl, I was very happy to take advantage of that. So speaking of these casitas, the whole vice squad, tons of cop cars, helicopters, basically come to check out this community. And I wonder why it wasn't so low key. I think maybe just to do it quickly to get anybody out of the way, to have reinforcement, to have backup if anything were to arise. Um, because I was like, wait, if I was a neighbor and I heard all this, I'd be like, oh, someone's snitching. Um, but maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's surrounded. It kind of looks like it's like an industrial part of town, too. So maybe there weren't a lot of surrounding neighborhoods. So this was more, you know, a little bit off the bean path. But it's super cute. They're super cute little casitas. They have little blue palm tree emblems on the casitas. Um, and so basically the whole vice squad able to get them in there check out everything's good and they're all going to be staying in different casitas watching out and surveying the scene and making sure that nothing happens to Lombard while he's in protected custody. On the first night, Lombard, he has a really good recipe for vermicelli. Sends Tub to the store to get ingredients. And this is definitely one thing I have in common with Lombard in this clip. In Italy, the people walk around with fresh garlic wrapped around their necks to ward off the werewolves. <laughs> You want me to walk around with a jar around my neck? <laughs> when I send you out for fresh garlic, I mean fresh garlic, all right? And this I 100% agree with Lombard on. I do not like garlic powder. I do not like onion powder. I don't even like onions. I could crush all the garlic cloves I could find. And I remember I used to make this really nice um, spaghetti and veggie meatballs during covid um, because I would just buy like a bunch of spaghetti from Aldi for $2 and they had really good veggie meatballs and basically make enough spaghetti meatballs for myself for like five days. And I think I would go through like five cloves of garlic, not like the whole bulb, but like of the piece. And I would just garlic everything up because it's just so tasty and it's fresh and it's right there. And there was this ramen spot too, where you could pre COVID, they don't do this anymore, where they'd give you like a little box of just peeled garlic cloves and a crusher. So you could just crush all the garlic you wanted. Oh, heaven. Oh, love garlic. So I'm definitely on his side with that. And they start to open up a little bit more after dinner bonding, you know, kind of Lombard's dad's journey here as an immigrant and then like how he learned those lessons as well, how we saw his dad working so hard as a gardener to support his family and pay that price. And then he didn't want to do that for himself. And so he got into a line of business where you could make more money, but obviously with more risk. And then he also pays a price for that. And he explains a little bit more in this next clip. Close to your boy? We never really clicked. I used to tell him I was a stockbroker. Leave the house with the Wall Street Journal tucked under my shoulder. He could never figure out why he couldn't call me at work. He also mentions that his son's in college and that's also the price you pay. And I think that is probably why it's not confirmed that he wants to stay in Miami and that he hasn't fled the country because him and his son do not have a great relationship. He obviously has not been the best father. And I think him leaving would only cement that more for him, that he hasn't been a great father. So maybe this is kind of his way to stay close to his son is by staying in Miami and not running away. 
And then after dinner, Crockett and Lombard are going to play poker. And again, this, I had to Google it when they said, when Crockett said seven card stud. Because I grew up with Texas Hold'em because I went to college in the mid-2000s, the mid-aughts. And poker was everywhere. If you dated a guy, if you wanted a guy, if you hung out with guys, you were playing poker at someone's house. You knew someone that played online poker. You knew someone who got rich from online poker. This was like the height of poker. But I was only used to Texas Hold'em where you have the river in the middle. Uh, So I did have to Google this. And another interesting note is that Tubbs says he doesn't gamble and Lombard kind of laughs. But I wonder if that's also true to who Philip Michael Thomas was in real life because he doesn't smoke, doesn't drink. He's a vegan. And I wonder if he also doesn't gamble as well. Um, I was doing a little bit more research for one of the side episodes I hope to get done next week. Let's see. I saw this big competition. A little bit more about like Philip Michael Thomas's upbringing. And so his stepfather was a lightweight boxer. So maybe he just kind of grew up with like a very regimented, healthy routine. And so kudos to him for not having any vices. (laughs) Don't know what that's like. And speaking of being degenerates, for all you other degenerate gamblers like me, so what is seven card stud? Per the bicycle card website, each player receives two cards face down and then one card face up, dealt one at a time in rotation. After the initial deal, there is a betting interval. Each active player receives three or more face up cards and one more face down card with a betting interval after each round of cards dealt. In the showdown, each player turns up all of their whole cards. So those were the face down cards, <laughs> whole cards, and selects five of their seven cards as their hand. The player must separate these cards from the other two, which they discard. So you can't have seven. You have to discard them. The player cannot reclaim their discards upon finding that a better five card combination could have been made. This is interesting. I'm going to try this next time. I know nobody has poker nights anymore, but I'm going to maybe I'll have my own poker night. Maybe if I ever have like a live podcast, it'll just be full of Jack Daniels and gambling in honor of James Sonny Crockett and unfiltered lucky strikes. It's just like a throwback. (laughs) It's like an always sunny where Frank has the anything goes bar and it's just the guys in the bag gambling. That could be us. And also very funny to note is that Lombard has a bunch of quarters on his side and Crockett has 50 cents on his side. (laughs) So, yes, obviously Lombard is not the cleanest player in the game, but he's doing a lot better than Crockett at this time. And speaking of casinos, Lombard's kind of waxing poetic about Labrisi Sr. and the tricks he had up his sleeve. And honestly... Labrizzi just sounds like one of those stoically cool men that you would love to meet in real life. He was like those characters you see on Wall Street. You know, when he spoke, everybody listened. Never had to raise his voice. He was always number one. He had a great trick he used to do to the suckers that used to come into his casino. He would make hot, sizzling Turkish coffee. Well, before you knew it, the sucker was broken. He never even finished his coffee. (laughs) In my notes, I wrote down, quote, wow, imagine having that much gravitas and just having that kind of power and command. And yes, I have a podcast where people listen to me, but I never actually feel, you know what? I always have issues with volume because I always felt like I wasn't heard. I always have to talk really loud or talk over people. So I have that issue with me. So like I've had to like train myself, do classes. I do have to find a new voice coach to help me speak in a softer tone and take better care of my vocal cords. So being that kind of guy, it just sounds like a dream to me. And that's how they end the night. Then when they wake up in the morning, Crockett 
is reading Sports Illustrated in bed, very apropos. And then Tubbs is doing reverse crunches while doing a headstand. Very dangerous, very hard to do, very impressive. I call it my body break moment. And then we get some very on the nose 1985 dye device. I gotta lose this gut. Stop eating. Yeah, I just have some cigarettes, some coffee, some grapefruit, you know, do that Vogue diet that comes on social media once a year as a throwback, because that is actually what they were telling people and advising people to do to lose weight back in the day. (laughs) And so as he's lamenting about it, he just really wants to get out. He wants to stretch, get some fresh air. Crockett and Tubbs reluctantly agree and tells you don't tech we're on the roof what they're doing. They're surveilling the scene. And as Lombard, Crockett, and Tubbs are all outside stretching, a white truck pulls up to the entranceway. And the entranceway, I will note, is blocked by cop cars. Looks a little sketchy, so Zeta and Switek are on it. Nothing has happened just yet. The truck is just kind of like pulled up, stopped, and parked. Then, obviously, they were right. Where the truck just barrels through the cars, shootout happens. Lombard kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Crockett and Tubbs look very hunky, I may add, in this scene. There's a shot I took of Crockett turning around with like his cute bubble butt in gray trousers and the sunglasses. He just looks so effortlessly cool and hot in this scene. And unfortunately, they end up losing Lombard. So was this a distraction planned by Lombard in order to get out? And somehow he was able to make the signal with someone else watching the casitas and was able to notice him coming out of the house and took out the signal to go. Or were they actually trying to ambush him and he just fled? So we'll never know. Well, we will know because we're back at the precinct and Castillo, Crockett and Tubbs are wondering where he is. And it dawns on Crockett and Tubbs that they know exactly where he is. Lombard has gone to visit his son at university and they walk on the track at night to do some father-son bonding, which I think is actually very sweet. You want to do something for me? Stick around and be my father. Because I love you, Dad. From the day I was born. Stick around and be my father. So once again, kind of driving home that narrative that leaving the country would save his own ass, but would cost him any chance of salvaging the relationship with Salvatore. Hey! I was was waiting for that. I was waiting to match that vocabulary. And so with that, his son wants him to testify. So Lombard is going to go along to help repair the relationship with his son. And now he's being held in protective custody again. But now Crockett and Tubbs have a little bit more leeway. They're holding him on the St. Vitus dance on Crockett's boat. And... I do want to issue a correction to Nobody Lives Forever. Brenda and Crockett were indeed on the St. Vitus dance during their little romantic boat ride. It just looks very small once it's moored or parked at the marina versus when they're actually sailing or when they're in the ocean. So that is my correction. I'm so sorry. I thought that maybe they rented a bigger boat, but no. Turns out that Crockett lives on quite a sizable boat that he's able to do recon, as we saw with No Exit, and he's able to harbor... I wanted to say fugitive, but a witness. He's basically holding a witness until the court date to protect him. Um, But I do think it's kind of cool. We do get to see Elvis. We get the cigarette boat, the stinger attached, like um, anchored on, not anchored on, tied on to the St. Vitus dance. And Lombard is able to have dinner with his friends. And 
jokes about what's going to happen. And as you can see, they're kind of, you know, just shooting, keeping it real. And you can see the look in Lombard's face change when he realizes that he's going into witness protection, that his whole life is going to change. He's going to lose access to the things that he really enjoyed about his life. And it might be able to salvage a relationship with his son, but will that ultimately make him happy? And since Lombard's tune has decidedly changed since the beginning of the episode, Lombard is trying to crack open Crockett a little bit, and we'll see what happens in this next conversation. You know, you and I aren't that different. Wrong. I don't murder people. What are you talking about? I haven't forgotten about what you did to Barbara Carroll, pal. Who? The mother. Five slugs in the back of the head, remember? Listen, Crockett, you may not believe this, but that wasn't my idea. It was uh, bad for business. It caused a lot of heat. Tell it to her children. Oof. Wow. When he said who, I was fully expecting that bison quote from Street Fighter, where to me it was just Tuesday. Ooh, let me find that. You don't remember? For you, the day bison graced your village was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. Wow. What a cinematic talent to put into such a crappy movie that was such an important video game of our childhoods. And honestly, he is the best part of this movie because he just gives it his all. And that was actually his last role. He took on the role of Bison to be closer to his children because they love Street Fighter. And Street Fighter obviously was a very important part of my childhood too because my dad loved to play it with my brother and I because it was educational because we got to learn about different countries around the world. That and Carmen Sandiego were very big ones. And then my dad was always Blanca because he was cheap and would just mash the B button to be the little electric ball. And I recall, I don't have any pictures of this, but I recall him like kind of helping me get together a Chun-Li costume when I was in either JK or SK. I was very young. And I think it was because he liked the fact that Chun-Li was avenging her father's death so that he wanted to instill in me that if that were to happen, that I would also (laughs) street fight my way across the world to avenge my father's death. (laughs) Ah, And so with that, we wake up and it's a new day in Miami. We are miles and miles from the coast because once we see them wake up and get ready to go to trial you can't really see as well as you think so like they're they're far out there and they're hopping off the St. Vitus dance while someone stays behind taking the cigarette boat into the city to get him to the courthouse and then when they actually get into the courthouse it is a huge 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 endeavor but first I'll be very frivolous if anyone has information regarding the street sign that you can see in the shot I put up on the gallery advice and easy podcast I have no idea what was happening, but it just says Walt Disney World salutes Miami March 22nd to March 28th. So the year was 1985. I would love to know if anyone has any intel, if anyone was there to know what was going on and what that entailed. What were they saluting Miami for? What took place? Was it like Disney stuff in Miami proper? Was it like a little ode to Miami in Orlando? Very curious. Please let me know. 
Now let's get to the nitty gritty. It is a very big endeavor getting him inside this courthouse because, again, this is a big time witness going up in front of the grand jury. So this is a big deal. There's like the entire vice squad is there and there's regular date date cops, Miami date cops, and they're wearing um, very tight hoodies that kind of look like they're made of like windbreaker material correct me if i'm wrong but from afar it kind of looks like it's that kind of material and lombard is in the center covered surrounded by every single angle head down you can't even see his face as they run him into the courthouse and they're trying to get him into the elevator two gentlemen walk by kind of caught right in the crossfire no guns are fired, thankfully, but basically they are. <laughs> they have tons of guns pointing at them. They are told to drop their whatever's in their hand, their case, put their hands up while they search them. These poor guys, at the end of the day, <laughs> Gina opens up the case. It's a violin. <laughs> poor guys. But luckily, Castillo has a little bit of a uh, little bit of good news for them. Sorry. Any damage, send us the bill. Well, I guess that's a little bit of good news, except if it's priceless, if it's an heirloom, if it's inherited. But yeah, they are going all out and they all get into the same elevator. So there's like 20 people stuffed in this elevator and they finally get him in and everybody else leaves. It's just the son, the judge, the lawyers, Crockett, Tubbs and Castillo. And there's a great shot of Crockett and like his white sport jacket that I really like, Tubbs and Castillo on the bench. And we finally get him. He's finally taking the stand. And during the cross-examination, they ask a little bit more about his background. And true to his form, this is exactly the answer I would expect. What kind of work do you do? I'm a businessman. What kind of business? I own a few nightclubs, a couple other things. What other things? Construction company, trucking company. In true mafioso fashion, those are his legitimate businesses. Then the lawyer continues the cross-examination. Do you know a man named Federico Librizzi? I refuse to answer that question on the grounds that my answer might tend to incriminate me. interesting he went through all that trouble getting in the courthouse running away from his safe house promising his son that having his son there just to end up pleading the fifth anyway and therefore because he's pleading the fifth he'll be held in contempt of court his son looks real pissed off leaves the courtroom crockett and tubbs obviously frustrated but while they're outside while lombard's waiting for his bondsman they talk a little bit more and get a little bit more insight in, as to why he made that choice. Three times they've tried to put you in a coffin and you've let them off the hook. Are you crazy or something? Listen, Crockett, it's not their code I have to live with, it's mine. I didn't rat Labritzi out because I don't rat out on anybody, you got it? That's my code. And for better or for worse, that's how I've been and that's how I'll go out. Interesting. 
interesting way, and we're not quite ending the episode right there, but at least we're getting a little bit more insight into his psyche. And then speaking of him waiting for the bales, the bondsman, once his car leaves, we see two gentlemen waiting in a car with giant guns. And as soon as they see Lombard's car leave, they pull a U-turn. The second dramatic U-turn of the episode that advances the plot forward. And right as they make that U-turn, cut and scene and season, executive producer Michael Mann. And that's the end. That's the wrap on season one. Personally, I like this episode, but I think that Evan would have been a much better fit for a season finale to leave on kind of that emotional high. But I also understand that this is a narrative-driven show and that having Lombard's story somewhat wrapped up in a neat package where... You know, he's going to be going to jail for five years, hypothetically, um, is a better way to send off a cop procedural show than Evan. But in my heart of hearts, I think that Evan was a much better episode. And it was hard. I was very low energy this week. And I was like, ah, like Dennis Farina, you just pulled me through. Because if it wasn't Dennis Farina as Lombard, it would be very hard for me to stay focused this episode. And I think it was really well done. I did like the little twist. I could kind of see when he was having that scene with his friends on the boat, they were having dinner and the realities of living in witness protection popped in and you could see the look in his eyes change. And I understand both sides. I understand not wanting to snitch. And I understand that sometimes reputation isn't worth it. You'd rather stop this bad behavior. But like when I was in high school, a lot of my friends are really upset that their younger brother or sister would have these snitches get stitches shirts because there were a lot of things going on that people would not snitch on and take the rap for themselves. And I didn't get it when I was younger. I was like, why? But it's like, what else are you going to do? Is your family going to move out of the country? Is your family going to like you? I understand. I understand snitching and not snitching. I'm I snitch a little bit at work, I guess. I kind of am known for like being honest. Maybe that's just me being Canadian. But I can understand overall, just if you're living by a code, you want to honor that code. So I respect him for that. And now let's get down to it. So now, like I mentioned early on in the episode, John Santucci, who we just saw in Golden Triangle Part 2 and now again in Lombard, was born John Schiavore his stage name, John Santucci. And he goes way, way, way back with Dennis Farina, back when Dennis Farina was a cop in Chicago and John was a thief. Interestingly enough, Dennis busted John. But the relationship, very interesting to say the least, also led to them both working with Michael Mann on the movie Thief. And in fact, the big score is kind of modeled on John's previous work. They both worked as consultants and they both had bit parts in the movie Thief. One of my favorite Michael Mann films. Incredible soundtrack, credible score, credible acting with the late great James Caan. And they were both able to parlay this into a long-standing working relationship with Michael Mann. Of course, appearing on Crime Story, Dennis Farina, obviously having a much more successful acting career, not only with Michael Mann and Manhunter, but afterwards. Whereas John Santucci, unfortunately, after 1985, his last IMDb credit, not really much going on. And in fact, really in his personal life, in 1994 and 1996, he was busted. Uh, he had tools with intent, basically like picks and what have you on his person so he was busted for having those on him and then fortunately he passed away in 2004 
Ned Eisenberg, who played Lafrici's son, also passed away, I believe, earlier this year. Uh, and you'll know him a lot from Law & Order SVU. And just as handsome, young as he was old. And sadly, also, Dennis Freynes also passed away. So a little bit depressing to do the research on this episode. But on a different note, Salvatore, the son, played by Michael DeLorenzo, he was in the movie Alive about the Uruguayan team whose plane crashed in the Andes. And they had to eat each other to survive. So interesting research all around for this vice tea. And then music in this episode. Actually, I really enjoyed the song Wire by U2, kind of in that chase scene where Crockett and Tubbs are going after Lombard, who's going to meet Charlie at the bridge with his papers and flee the country. That was long-winded. I do apologize. Basically, that scene with Wire by U2, I really enjoyed because I'm not the biggest U2 fan. I really like Where the Streets Have No Name, but that one, really solid U2 song. And my boy Lollipop, of course, naturally was playing during the ice cream parlor scene. And throughout, you kind of heard that like spooky, but like upbeat music that's called One Way Out by Jan Hammer. And that was since it was featured most prominently in the episode. That's the one I like really want to give the shout out to because I really, really like it. It kind of like set the pace and, you know, the score would kind of change appropriately. But I really like that he kind of just kept going back to all the Lombard scenes. And now let's have a little bit more fun. Let's talk Fashion. fashion. So I've already spoiled and given away. Obviously, my favorite is going to be Labrizzi Jr. in the white pinstripe suit with the pink undershirt. It's more like a coral. It's not like a bright strawberry pink, but like the pink shirt with the tie. Best dress for sure. Then the henchmen, just because, <laughs> I don't know. They just kind of came into left field and they're not super cheesy looking. They don't have like extreme facial hair or anything, but just want to give them some kudos because I like the pink light shirt the guy's wearing. And then my best dressed main character naturally is going to go to Crockett and the two differing shades of blue. He looks so handsome in this episode. He also looks great in coral. Like I said, when he has that... um shootout picture that I highlighted as well in the gallery, but he looks so handsome. He's just sitting at the desk with turquoise undershirt and like more as akin to like a teal blue blazer. Just looks impeccably handsome. And I think Lombard could have like a little bit more style and pep. Like he looked really nice when he was leaving that lunch scene, lunch, wow, that lunch scene when he got shot. But aside from that, like he should be a little bit more stylish. He should, he should have a tailor living in his yacht. That would be, that's what I would do if I had that kind of money. But speaking of Lombard and pleading the fifth, let's explain what pleading the fifth actually means to our non-American listeners. <laughs> and in this episode of Elvis's Legal Minute, we're going to break down the fifth. Pleading the fifth refers to the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America. I do not know what the Canadian equivalent is or the Australian equivalent is. I don't know if there's like a Commonwealth equivalent, um, but I'll give you kind of a rundown. So basically, pleading the fifth, as you know, is to not say anything. But let's make that sound a little bit fancier. <laughs> so in the Fifth Amendment itself, it says that no person, quote, shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. End quote. So therefore, to plead the fifth means the right to remain silent. And so that's why in this deal, when they're saying that you've been granted immunity and thereby being granted immunity means that he would not face criminal charges if he spoke up, thereby not being able to plead the fifth because you cannot incriminate yourself if you have no criminal charges from the testimony. It's a little convoluted. So basically, they just put him into a corner where he could either say nothing and go to jail or say something, but 
be known as a snitch and have to go possibly into witness protection. And with that, we are ending season one of not only just Miami Vice, but season one of the Vice and Easy podcast. I want to thank you all for liking, for subscribing, for telling your friends, for being on all my socials at Vice and Easy podcast. And I'll see y'all in two weeks. I don't want to promise anything I can't deliver, but hopefully I will have a mini vice tea. Maybe I'll call it like sweet tea or steep tea episode on the 29th. But since I'm competing in a very, very high pressure bartending competition this Sunday, the 24th, um, I will most likely be recovering and not want to talk to anybody. (laughs) So I'll see y'all first Friday in August and we will break down season two and we're going to New York. So let's get ready. Thank you again for liking, subscribing, for everything Vice and Easy. And don't forget. Hey man, Miami Wise is number one new show.